Chapter 22 of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education, by Charlotte A. Mason. Chapter 22. Suggestions Toward a Curriculum, Part 3, The Love of Knowledge. The use of books makes for short hours. Considering that under the head of Education by Books, some half-dozen groups of subjects are included, with several subjects in each group, the practical teacher will be inclined to laugh at what will seem to him education in utopia. In practice, however, we find that the use of books makes for short hours. No bookwork or writing, no preparation or report is done in the parents' review school, except between the hours of nine and eleven thirty for the lowest class, to nine and one for the highest, with half an hour's interval for drill, etc. From one to two hours, according to age and class, are given in the afternoons to handicrafts, field work, drawing, etc., and the evenings are absolutely free, so that the children have leisure for hobbies, family reading, and the like. We are able to get through a greater variety of subjects, and through more work in each subject, in a shorter time than is usually allowed, because children taught in this way get the habit of close attention and are carried on by steady interest. Utilitarian Education I should be inclined to say of education, as Mr. Lecky says of morals, that, quote, the utilitarian theory is profoundly immoral, end quote. To educate children for any immediate end, towards commercial or manufacturing aptitude, for example, is to put a premium upon general ignorance with a view to such special aptitude. The greater includes the less, but the less does not include the greater. Excellent work of whatever kind is produced by a person of character and intelligence, and we who teach cannot do better for the nation than to prepare such persons for its uses. He who has intelligent relations with life will produce good work. Relations and Interests I have throughout spoken of relations and not of interests, because interests may be casual, unworthy, and passing. Everyone, even the most ignorant, has interests of a sort, while to make valid any one relation implies that knowledge has begun in, at any rate, that one direction. But the defect in our educational thought is that we have ceased to realize that knowledge is vital, and as children and adults we suffer from underfed minds. This intellectual inanition is, no doubt, partly due to the fact that educational theorists systematically depreciate knowledge. Such theorists are, I think, inclined to attach more importance to the working of the intellectual machinery than to the output of the product. That is, they feel it to be more important that a child should think than that he should know. My contention is rather that he cannot know without having thought and also that he cannot think without an abundant, varied, and regular supply of the material of knowledge. We all know how the reading of a passage may stimulate us in thought, inquiry, inference, and thus get for us in the end some added knowledge. 
the depreciation of which i speak is by no means of set purpose nor is it even realized but the more education presents itself as a series of psychological problems the greater will be the tendency to doctor modify and practically eliminate knowledge that knowledge which is as the air and the food and the exercise the whole life of the mind of man in giving education without abundant knowledge we are as persons who should aim at physical development by giving the maximum of exercise with the minimum of food the getting of knowledge and the getting of delight in knowledge are the ends of a child's education and well has said one of our prophets quote, that there should one man die ignorant who had the capacity for knowledge this i call a tragedy end quote. to sum up i believe that our efforts in intellectual education commonly fail from six causes causes of failure a the oral lesson which at its worst is very poor twaddle and at its best is far below the ordered treatment of the same subject by an original mind in the right book the right books exist old and new in countless numbers but very great care is necessary in the choice as well as much experience of the rather whimsical tastes and distastes of children and b the lecture commonly gathered from various books and rapid notes by the teacher and issuing in hasty notes afterwards written out and finally crammed up by the pupils the lecture is often careful thorough and well illustrated but is it ever equal in educational value to direct contact with the original mind of one able thinker who has written his book on the subject arnold thring bowen we know lectured with great effect but then each of them lectured on only a few subjects and each lecture was as the breaking out of a spring of slowly gathered knowledge we are not all arnold's or even bowen's c the textbook compressed and recompressed from one or many big books these handbooks are of two kinds the frankly dry and uninteresting which enumerate facts and details and the easy and beguiling i think we are safe in saying that there is no educational value in either sort of textbook d the debauchery of the mind which comes of exciting other desires to do the work of the inherent and fully adequate desire of knowledge e in elementary schools the dependence upon apparatus and illustrative appliances which have a paralyzing effect on the mind f again in elementary schools the use of readers which however well selected cannot have the value of consecutive works education by books for the last twelve years we have tried the plan of bringing up children on books and things and on the whole the results are pleasing the average child studies with delight we do not say he will remember all he knows but to use a phrase of jane austen's he will have had his imagination warmed in many regions of knowledge blind alleys may i digress for a moment to raise a warning note against the following of blind alleys whether in our educational thought or our methods we do not in the sphere of education find hidden treasures by casual digging in the common roadways believing in evolution we perceive that ideas also have their pedigree and their progeny and follow their own laws of generation 
a learned and thoughtful chinese will abstract himself from the outer world separate himself from the ideas of others and when he has arrived at a due state of acuity take his writing brushes and produce out of his inner consciousness not anything that he has ever seen or heard of or even imagined but some hieroglyph of curves rather pleasing and presentable if he happened to be an artist this disconnected production he arbitrarily invests with the character of a symbol and his fellows are willing to receive it as such and it is duly hung in his hall of tablets some of us perhaps know the flowing curves which stand for happiness in this language of symbols now all this is very engaging and the western mind is ready enough to succumb to the charm of such fancies but does it not offer a key to the baffling problem we call china here we have a vast people with some high moral qualities of astute and sometimes profound intelligence whose civilization has for thousands of years remained to all appearance stationary is the cause perhaps a tendency to follow intellectual futilities blind alleys in every direction these people do not realize that method implies an end perceived a way to that end and step-by-step -step progress in the way nor do they perceive that a notion becomes a fruitful idea only upon the impact of an idea from without a fine celestial arrogance assures them of their right to casual fines hence they do not progress but remain in all things as they were now here is the danger that besets us in education we seize upon ambidexterity upon figures drawn with the compass without intention upon child study as implied to mind upon terrible agglutinations which we call appreciation masses upon intellectual futilities in a hundred directions each of which will we hope give us the key to education we may perceive the futility of such notions by applying the test of progress are they the way to anything and if so what let us out of reverence for the children be modest let us not stake their interests on the hope that this or that new way would lead to great results if people had only the courage to follow it it is exciting to become a pioneer but for the children's sake it may be well to constrain ourselves to follow those roads only by which we know that persons have arrived or those newer roads which offer evident and assured means of progress towards a desired end self-will is not permitted to the educationalist and he may not take up fads an educated child knowledge is no doubt a comparative term and the knowledge of a subject possessed by a child would be the ignorance of a student all the same there is such a thing as an educated child a child who possesses a sound and fairly wide knowledge of a number of subjects all of which serve to interest him such a child studies with delight children delight in school but not for love of knowledge it will be said with truth that most children delight in school they delight in the stimulus of school life in the social air of companionship they are emulous eager for reward and praise they enjoy the thousand lawful interests of school life including the attractive personality of such and such a teacher but it seems doubtful whether the love of knowledge in itself and for itself is usually a powerful motive with the young scholar 
The matter is important because, of all the joyous motives of school life, the love of knowledge is the only abiding one, the only one which determines the scale, so to speak, upon which the person will hereafter live. My contention is, to repeat what has been said, that all children have a capacity for, and a latent love of, knowledge, and that knowledge concerning persons and states can best be derived from books, and should be got by the children out of their own books. In a hundred biographies there are hints of boys and girls who have grown up on books, and there is no doubt that in many schools the study of books is the staple of the work. This probably is the principle which keeps our great public schools perennially alive. They live, so far as they do live, upon books. The best public schoolboy is a fine product, and perhaps the worst has had his imagination touched by ideas. Yet most of us recognize that the public school often fails in that it launches the average and dull boy ignorant upon the world, because the curriculum has been too narrow to make any appeal to him. And we must remember that if a young person leaves school at seventeen or eighteen without having become a diligent and delighted reader, it is tolerably certain that he will never become a reader. It may be, however, that the essential step in any reform of public schools should come in the shape of due preparation upon a wide curriculum dealt with intelligently between the ages of six and twelve. An Educational Revolution I add appendices to show a. how a wider curriculum and the use of many books work in the parents' review school, b. what progress a pupil of twelve should have made under such conditions, and c. what use is made of oral lessons. Should the reader consider that the children in question prove their right of entry to several fields of knowledge, that they show a distinct appetite for such knowledge, that thought and power of mind develop upon the books we read as they do not and cannot upon the lectures we hear should he heed to be convinced of the truth of what i have advanced i think that he will see that not an educational reform here and there but an educational revolution is before us to which every one of us is bound to put his hand the children's magna carta my plea is, and I think I have justified it by experience, that many doors shall be opened to boys and girls until they are at least twelve or fourteen, and always the doors of good houses, parentheses, education, says Tain, is but a card of invitation to noble and privileged salons, end parentheses, that they shall be introduced to no subject whatever through compendiums, abstracts, or selections that the young people shall learn what history is, what literature is, what life is, from the living books of those who know. I know it can be done, because it is being done on a considerable scale. If conviction has indeed reached us, the Magna Carta of children's intellectual liberty is before us. The need is immediate, the means are evident. This, at least, I think we ought to claim that, up to the age of twelve, all boys and girls shall be educated on some such curriculum, with some such habit of books, as we have been considering. End of chapter 22